Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. I'm Maddie Johansson, and I'll be your host. Back in March, we hosted an Alteryx for Good data challenge, co-sponsored by our partner, RXP. The data challenge was kicked off at Inspire Sydney, where students from Australian universities teamed up with Australian not-for-profits to provide analytic insights using Alteryx. Now, I'm sure to a lot of our listeners, this sounds familiar. But it is because we did an episode earlier this year that featured firsthand accounts of the students learning Alteryx and working with those nonprofits. And by the way, if you want to go back and listen to it, it's episode 59. But in this episode, we wanted to hear the nonprofit perspective. And I had a chat with two of the organizations who participated in the data challenge. Food Bank Australia, represented by Sarah Pinnell. Yes, um, hi, I'm Sarah Pinnell. I'm a, a general manager at Food Bank Australia, which is the largest food relief organization in Australia. And I'm responsible for research and all things statistics at the organization. And Royal Flying Doctor Service, represented by Pritish Sharma. Hi, everyone. My name is Pritish Sharma, and I work as the head of data and analytics at the Royal Flying Doctor Service. I live, breathe data and work across the different divisions of the company, especially centered more around the research and the operational side of things. Let's get started. To kick things off, I want to give you a little bit more background on the nonprofits because they're seriously cool. Let's start with Pratish from Royal Flying Doctor Service, or RFDS for short. The RFDS provides extensive primary healthcare services throughout Australia, including, although not limited to, uh, primary care, nursing, and oral health clinics. The types of services differ in response to configuration of other local health services in specific operating regions. We also operate a 24-hour, seven days a week aeromedical retrieval service supported by a 24-7 telehealth system to people who live, work, or travel in rural and remote regions of Australia. And if you look at it, you know, we, we pretty much uh, take care of the people in rural and very remote parts of Australia and take care of the healthcare needs and pretty much fill in the void which is created in, in, in rural Australia. That's amazing. I'm so inspired just listening to that. You know, we have a couple of services like that in the States, you know, probably more than a couple. And, uh, you know, as I'm sure that everybody around the globe does as well. And I just think that those kinds of services are so important, but also really, really impressive too. you know, the idea of sending doctors and nurses out into those rural areas to service those communities is such a cool cool thing and then and you'd be surprised that you know we are a 91 year old organization and, oh really uh, yeah and uh, the first flight took off way 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 earlier where the founder of our company chartered an aircraft and then flew in into the rural community to, to start servicing their their needs and this is just phenomenal and, and more than that you know it's very motivating uh, to work for this organization more so you know, you, you're working for a cause and, and at the same time, you're making a very direct impact into people's lives. Similar to RFDS, Sarah at Food Bank Australia is also passionate about serving the community and enjoys it even more when she can put the data behind it. Well, before Food Bank became involved in really delving into and finding out more about food insecurity in Australia, very little was known. 
And we're now considered to be the go-to organization to provide information and insights into the situation of food insecurity in Australia. So there really was a dearth of, of, of understanding. In fact, in Australia, there was a belief that food insecurity didn't exist. We would talk about people going hungry in Australia and, 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 and fellow Australians would look at us in shock and disbelief. So in the first instance, we actually had to pin down what the issue in Australia actually is and, and how many people are, are going without meals and suffering anxiety because they're finding it difficult to put food on the table for themselves and their families. So that was our first job was to simply help or educate Australia on the fact that there is an issue at all. And what we're doing now is really delving into it, understanding it, understanding how people become food insecure, um, what that condition uh, is like for them, so what the lived experience is and uh, where they are and how we, can, how we can help them and how we can address the issue. So we're really exploring every aspect of, of the issue. Yeah, that's so important. And I, I'm curious, what has been the most surprising thing for you when it comes to understanding the data that you've seen come in as you're working on this research and really trying to, like you said, pin down the full picture of what's happening with food insecurity in Australia? I think the most surprising thing is that food insecurity impacts a wide variety of people. So if you, if you had asked me before doing this work, who is food insecure in Australia, I would have immediately said, oh, homeless people, unemployed people, maybe, you know, old people uh, that live on their own and don't have resources or assistance. And that is all true. But in fact, the largest group of food insecure people, the working poor, and I had no idea that there were people um, in Australia who have jobs. So there's someone in the household who has a job, but they still can't make ends meet. And their job is possibly casual or, or intermittent, part-time or just simply lowly paid and that means that they can't they can't care for their family and they might be able to manage for some of the time or even most of the time but all they need is one uh, piece of bad luck such as a fam you know an illness in the family or the car finally giving up the ghost or something like you know, very expensive utility bills in the winter when you're trying to heat your home, that can suddenly mean that food becomes a discretionary item. So eking out a very meager pantry is how they get by. And that was a big surprise to me. Yeah, it's crazy how everything is so interconnected. And it's all just, as you said, it's, it's, it's just fragile, you know? Um, and I think if you don't have that research and that data behind it, then, you know, as you said, it's hard to prove to your peers and it's hard to start having these conversations and start assisting in an impactful way. So absolutely right. Absolutely right. And the data tells the story 
And that's helped us to get the attention of policymakers, politicians, and just the general public to, to understand the situation. Totally. Yeah. And I, I, I want to, that's actually a good segue into another topic that I wanted to get into because we published another podcast episode where we followed the students who participated in that data challenge that I mentioned earlier. And just for our audience, each student team was paired with a nonprofit. So the students from the Data for Good challenge that supported Food Bank delivered a project that helped identify and visualize food deserts. And I think, you know, obviously that's such a cool opportunity for students to learn all tricks and analytics. You know, it's a unique opportunity and a unique learning experience to really, you know, get your hands dirty and really practice in a tangible way. But also it was a cool opportunity for the nonprofits to really capitalize on having volunteers. So I'm curious, uh, how did your team work with the students in order to, I guess, help them help you, you know, and it's a follow-up question. What advice do you have for other nonprofits for them to make the most of that volunteer help if it ever comes their way? We briefed the students. So we provided them with a broad understanding of the the issue and what it is we do on a day-to-day basis and what our challenges are and what we need to achieve. And then we provided them with a number of data sets. So we have a lot of data. We actually collect information through our inventory system on uh, what food we're getting in, what food we're sending out, who we're sending it to, the volumes and the nature of the food. We also do surveys with the charities that we provide the food to. So we have a lot of uh, data. Our challenge is having the time and the resources to be able to make the most of that data, to actually analyze it and get insights out of it. So what we did was we shared that data with the students and told them that uh, a challenge for us was food deserts, as you've already mentioned. And basically what they are is places in Australia where from one data set, we know uh, there are food insecure people, but from uh, other data, we can work out that our food relief doesn't go there. And that's because there aren't charities in that area that help people in need. And therefore we're not supplying food to those charities. And so there's, there's no help in that area. And what we wanted to do was better understand where the food relief deserts are so that we can work with our charity network to deliver food to those areas. Or if not the charity network, then we need to find other ways to deliver food. It might be via uh, local councils or schools or, you know, other, basically other uh, existing networks in those communities. But what we wanted to do was using our two data sets, discover where those deserts are, be able to know which are the worst areas, so where there, you know, there are the most people who, who don't have access to help, and then map that so that we can, we can work on addressing that issue. I also asked Pratish about their experience working with the student participants in the data challenge. Here's what he said. And I, I was very thrilled uh, when Alteryx and, and the partners uh, reached out to us for a potential you know, challenge. 
and 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 just just a bit of a background so we've had this relationship with Alteryx for for more than a couple of years now where we're using the product and and immensely benefiting from from the spatial analytics capabilities and and then uh, you know when when you guys reached out to us i i was extremely thrilled and uh, you know getting clearance from from leadership was was a cakewalk for us you know everyone really wanted us to explore the the capabilities and uh, and yeah so 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 we started discussing the challenge and and you know we immediately went to the whiteboard and discussed you know what is is a key area where we really want you know someone to to kind of blow a torch under the bonnet and and see if if there's anything we can do better and i think around the same time early early this year there was a a big i think a, a drought wave across uh, the country and and it was so severe that we haven't kind of experienced such a drought in years and and especially you know there there are a lot of farming communities out there so so then we started thinking that you know there's there's definitely a need for mental health services and and it's been you know quite well advocated across that you know one in five australians would require a some intervention at at some stage of the life and and then you know we we anyways do service the mental health uh, services so so then you know we started thinking about you know how does drought impact the need for mental health services in the bush where, where there's there's hardly any coverage or any medical medical services provided so then you know we we started drafting the challenge and and that's where you know it all kick started this this wonderful journey and and i'm i'm extremely pleased with the results we have and and yeah we we actually discussing the results of of you know the the wonderful work the uni students have done and another thing that really surprised me was that you know how you know people from uni who've never worked on or, or worked with alteryx in 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 their lives you know could actually drill through numerous data sources which which runs into uh, terabytes at times and 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 not then able to master the product and get out insights which which would have taken us months to to get and and they all did it in within two weeks or uh, uh, within weeks not two weeks sorry but but i think in a couple of months they had the entire product ready and and it just shows that you know a how easy it is to to work on on the tool how easy it is to master all tricks and and see you know the the benefits are immediately accessible and you can start working on them I agree. Yeah, I, I'm always constantly blown away by the ease of use and how quickly even I can learn things with Alteryx. And I think a lot of that is also due to our community where anybody can join and start learning, start taking the interactive lessons and maybe even working towards a free certification. And we also, I'll give a quick shout out to our new ADAPT program as well, where you can get a free license if you're affected by COVID. So if you lost your job or were furloughed or anything like that, and you want to make a career shift or learn Alteryx, that license is available to them. And we'll be sure to link to these programs in the show notes as well. But one thing that you mentioned too was the the results that the students provided and the data that they were working with. And you mentioned, you know, there's so many data sources that mm-hmm. you provided them with or gave them access to. Um, and I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about just in general, the data landscape that the organization deals with that RFDS works with all the time, you know, because different organizations are always going to have a different data story. And they're always Mm -hmm. some people are going to have tons of data and some people aren't going to have that much. And so what does the landscape look like for you? 
Yeah. So it's, it's immensely vast. And, uh, you know, Australia is, is, is a continent in itself. And it's, it's just so, so massive. And, and with a population of around 25 million, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much, you know, we've got people everywhere. And then at times, you know, there are communities of around 10 people in a very remote pe- area. So, so to start with, you know, we, we always look at the latest results of the uh, Australian Bureau of Statistics, which give us, you know, population demographics and, and you know, pretty much how many people are living in a community. And, 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 and we get the, the geocoding done for, for pretty much all locations across, across the country. And then we map it to the existing health services, so be it uh, a general practice now, uh, working in in the community, or you know, a hospital, or or, or clinic, or something, and 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 then we try to you know join the two to to then find out you know which areas don't have coverage, say within a driving distance of about ninety minutes, and you'd be surprised that there are uh, you know a lot of such places, and and once we've identified those, we then you know kind of go through each and every location, which is, you know, as, as we call it within the flying doctors as, as gray areas where, where there's no coverage. And then we start looking at, you know, how many people are there, what's, what's the demographic and then, and, and what were, you know, uh, traditionally the, the core diagnosis or, or, or the diseases that, you know, they're, they're suffering from. And then, you know, we kind of, uh, once we've identified those gray areas, we then start uh, plotting, you know, which is the nearest airstrip. And we've got a fleet of around 80 aircraft and, and most of our planes can just land on a dirt strip. So, so we, we look out and identify patches where, you know, our aircraft can safely land. At times, you know, and then especially in the night, it's, it's so dark and then there's no weather system or, or you know, you, you don't understand what's, what's actually the condition of the airstrip. And, and people actually hold torches on, on the runway to guide our, our pilots to land safely there. So, so, so once we've identified those airstrips, we then, you know, start, you know, identifying that these places are easily accessible by air, some places are accessible by road. And, and once we've, we've done all that groundwork, we then uh, start looking into our own data, you know, which is, which is running into, into years where we say, we, we identify, you know, what, what are the, the diseases or, or, you know, the conditions the patients suffer from. And, and, and then once we've identified, we then, you know, go into, into the planning session where typically, you know, our planners work for about months and then they work very closely with the health uh, networks within, within the region to, to then, you know, identify core areas of need. And that's, that's when, you know, we start flying in. So, so at times, you know, our doctors and nurses, they, they fly into a region and, and then they stay there for about a couple of days and, and then they, they fly back. Or, or sometimes it's just a, a day in day out uh, kind of a clinic, so so that's that's pretty much you know the the landscape of of data that we work with. Okay, so essentially what he just said is that data really serves as a backbone for their planning and strategy, and ultimately analytics drives their decision making. Yes, and and a lot of you know data is is you know we we get it from external sources or, or our mm-hmm. partners, you know. Health Direct, they, they give us a list of, you know, all uh, medical uh, services available across the country. We, we get a lot of other data from, from different primary health networks. And, and, and then, you know, you'd be surprised that a lot of data is intuition-based as well. You know, people who've, who've been in that community and service that for years, maybe 30, 40, 50 years as well, you know, they've, they've, they know this, the place in and out. 
and and you know pretty much at times you know the data could be pointing that you know there is a need but but sometimes you know those people they they know that you know there is another service available in that area on on a wednesday or a thursday and therefore you know there's no need for us to go on those days so so sometimes you know there are those gaps in in data and and that's where you know the the, the experience of people working there they they kind of you know come in and plug that gap for us Let's check back in with Sarah, who also gave insight about data at Food Bank and the people who are working with data in order to make decisions. I am very happy to say we now actually have an analyst for oh, the wow. first time ever. That's so amazing. data has always been my bag and our IT uh, uh, guru also has a, a great appetite for data. So he, he, he and I have been kind of the, the carriers of the flame when it comes to data at Food Bank. But now in, the, in our current circumstances, we have taken on a, an analyst because with everything that's happening during COVID, both with regard to what we need to do to support people, but also the the corporations and government who are assisting us. So we have received a lot of support, funding support and so on in order to do our job. We know that that, that we need to be able to, to uh, analyze and investigate what's been happening. We need to report back comprehensively. Those who are providing us with funds, et cetera, want to know exactly what's happening to that money and how and the impact that it's having. And so we knew we needed uh, more uh, help in order to be able to to satisfy those needs and to to achieve the right level of reporting. And the way we're looking at it at the moment, with everything that's changed during COVID, both in terms of the need, how we operate, what the government is doing in 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 terms of support for the community, and so on. We're seeing COVID as like the ultimate experiment. So we are able to now to look at things that are being done in the community, both that we're doing and the government and others are doing, and look at what impact they have had. And, you know, we can, we, we've got something that we can look at here that, that we would never have had without COVID. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I want, you know, I'm pleased that COVID's come along, but gee, never let a crisis go to waste. And um, there's all sorts of things that we can look at right now and, and, and better understand what, what impact the government and we and the general public can have on something like food insecurity. So, you know, from a data point of view, from an analysis point of view, it's actually extremely exciting times. And we believe that, you know, the world will not go back to the way it was before. So much has changed during COVID and we want to be able to nail that down, explain it and 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 retain the good stuff, retain the the improvements that we've been able to make, the insights that we've been able to gain and have a better, you know, have a, a, a better future rather than the same. I think that that's going to be crucial for us to continue to solve these these problems because this isn't, um, this is obviously a huge deal, but it's, you know, it, there's more things that are going to keep happening. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. always going to be challenges and the better camaraderie that we can build now, I think is going to be uh, for the better. 
And, 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 you know, there has been amazing innovation during this time. So we at Food Bank have, have changed our model and, and, you know, pivoted and, and, and responded to the new needs in some incredibly creative ways. And we don't want to lose that. We want to pin that down, understand what happened, what it achieved, what the impact was, and how we can use those new experiences, new approaches post-COVID. So analysis helps you to achieve that. Let's check in with Pratish. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are getting really creative with everything. And I, I would imagine as well, you know, since you're pulling data from all these different sources. And as you said, you live and breathe data in your role. Does everybody at your organization think as a data person? You know, are they all data thinkers? Do they, do you guys have dedicated analysts? Or yeah, how do you kind of make sure that everybody on your team and everybody at your org is thinking analytically? Yeah, and, and you know, data is a journey. And initially, you know, it was all intuition based, I think, many years ago. And then, you know, Excel came in and, and, and you know, we, we started creating uh, different kind of reports and, and people started, you know, using the data to, to make informed decisions. And then, you know, we started on the on the BI journey. We, we introduced tools such as Alteryx, uh, yourselves. And, and that's where, you know, we started getting analytics around around the data. We, we started you know, understanding, you know, patterns and so on. So, so, so yes, you know, it is definitely a journey where, where, you know, initially from, from being an intuitive organization, you're becoming a more aware and, and, and take more informed decisions. And, and yes, to, to answer the second part of your question, we've, we've got data, you know, analysts everywhere in, the, in, in, in all the states uh, and the territories in, in the country. And, and they kind of work, you know, with different teams, be it, you know, being a charity, we, we rely a lot on fundraising. So, so, you know, some analysts would be involved with the fundraising side of things. Some would be looking more at the operational side of things and, and someone would be more uh, inclined towards the finance side of things. And suddenly over the years, you know, we, we've started absorbing more and more data and, and it was data which was not available to us earlier. So, so we can now, you know, identify how many hours it takes us for a flight, to, to reach a location, how much fuel do we consume on that flight? How many, what's the crew on that flight? Is it is it a doctor or is it a nurse? How many patients were there on a flight? And and you know what was the criticality? What was the severity of the patient? And 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 we can then kind of you know look through at an at a case by case basis, or we can you know aggregate and summarize and and see you know what's our response times, how how readily are we available uh, to service our patients and our community? So. So all of this data was not available for us. And, and if you were to do it manually, you know, it used to take us months. But what we've done and achieved over, over the past couple of years is, is, is leveraging all tricks. We've been able to you know, bring together all, all of this data, which is, which is in different systems. You'd be surprised we've, we've got about 100, 100 plus systems. And we've brought in data from all of these systems, aggregated it together, you know, and, and, and brought in uniformity. And then we've started consuming this data and, and it's, it's just, you know, such an, it's just brought our operations and the way we operate to it all together different level. Thanks for tuning in to Alter Everything. For more on the programs and organizations heard on today's episode, check out our show notes at community.alterx.com slash podcast, where you can also chat with us by leaving a comment. 
We'll also have a link to a blog article by our data science journalist, Susan Curry-Civic, where she shares resources on how you can use your analytics skills to help organizations like Food Bank and RFDS. And you can join us on social media using the hashtag AlterEverythingPodcast. And be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app to make sure you don't miss any episodes. Catch you next time. So before I hit stop recording, I did. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny to ask you this at the end. But earlier, you said the car giving up the ghost. Is that? Did you say that? <laughs> yes. I did. Is that, not never... saying, is that not a saying you've heard before? <laughs> First time, actually. Ah. <laughs> what, what does that mean? If 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 something breaks down or, or dies, it gives up the ghost. That is so funny. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and I was like, I better write that down so I can ask her later at the end. <laughs> oh, so you're cool. lucky I didn't put in lots of other Australianisms because I have a lot of American colleagues in the Global Food Banking Network and they're often pulling me up and going, what was that you said? <laughs> <laughs> I know there were so many that I heard when I was in Australia for Inspire and I can't think of them off the top of my head. Maybe I'll put them in the, sh maybe I'll list them in the show notes uh, later on. But... <laughs> awesome.